All right, church. Welcome back. Welcome back. All right. We've got some good people in the house today, right? So I'm going to start with a few rules over here. So when the preacher is preaching, we can do this going forward as well. If you hear something good, all right, if you hear something good, why don't you shout, yeah! Can we try, yeah! Can we try, amen! God is good! All right. If, if you like it, say, preach it! All right, very good, okay. That's very good. So if, let's set this, let's, let's encourage one another. The more you say it, the more excited I get. But the more excited I get, the more I might preach. The longer it might go. <laughs> but no, don't worry. Just, just encourage me as we go along, all right? So we've been on the book of Ruth for the past three weeks. And the book of Ruth has been like a trilogy. It's like a movie set. It's like a movie scene. Watching it and reading it is like watching a movie, right? So today, we are at the final chapter of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, where everything reveals, everything unravels, and finally we hit the peak, and we see the results of it as well. So I'm just going to do a, a very fast, quick recap on the book of Ruth from chapter 1 to chapter 3. And if you heard my sermon two weeks ago uh, on, the, on Sunday, 8.30 and 11 o'clock service, I, I gave a message entitled, The Bridal Response. Why did I give a message entitled The Bridal Response? Because the book of Ruth is a prophetic book. It is a book about the bride of Christ. Us, as the bride of Christ. I mentioned about Naomi being the bride of Christ from Israel, the Jewish bride of Christ. And Ruth being the Gentile bride of Christ. Us, bringing out, taken out of the pits of hell. Literally, Moab was like a terrible, terrible nation. Bringing out, coming into the promise of God in Israel. Entering into His promise. Entering into our promise. Now, we're going to see what happens. So, if you, if you see it like a movie, I'm just going to do a very quick recap. Ruth chapter 1. What happens in Ruth chapter 1? Ruth chapter 1, you see Naomi and Elimelech with his two sons. Leaving the promise of God, living the promised land of God going to, into Moab. Moab is a country that's terrible. It's one of the arch enemies of, of uh, Israel. There was a curse upon Moab even. To the 10th generation, you shall not enter the assembly of God. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Why would you go to Moab? Moab, they say, it's a wash basin. Wash basin of God. I mean, it's all the filth and all the dirt and everything is there. But they decided to go to Moab. And that was a move of compromise leaving God's promises, but entering into compromise. And then we see God's judgment upon them. Elimelech passes away, right? He dies, very short, bam. And then, after that, the two sons took on wives, took on Moabite wives. They lived for 10 years, no kids, and then, bam, they died. So then, now, we set the scene. This is like opening credits, we set the scene. Naomi, there with the two daughter-in-laws. But then she heard, that God had visited Bethlehem, the house of bread, and God has given them bread in the house of bread. Wow. Then she woke up. She woke up. She heard God, and she woke up and said, I will go back into the promised land. I will go back into the promises of God. I will not no longer be in compromise, but I will go back to the promise of God. So she moves on. She goes on. She brings the two daughter-in-laws along, and halfway she says, you know what? Daughters, my daughters that I love, I release you. 
she knows that she's going back, when she goes back, there will be judgment. There will be criticism. Sometimes it might be too difficult. So she said, I release you. And it was a genuine release. I bless you and release you. She gives a blessing to, the, to them as well. Now the two daughter-in-laws, one of them decided to, to leave. Orpa left. But Ruth decided to stay. Decided to cling on to Naomi. And she clung on to Naomi and she even gave a riveting, wonderful vow. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. And then they move on. And then they move into the, into the promised land. And there, wow, they met everybody. And then and Naomi was like, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. That's part one. That's how it ends. Call me Mara. Bam, end of credit scene. Leaves you hanging. Cliffhanger, right? right? Then we come to part two of the trilogy. Part two. Now, because Naomi and Ruth, they were poor. They didn't have husbands. They didn't have their wealth. Naomi said, I came out of Israel full, but I'm now entering empty. So it's like they had nothing. So what happened? They had nothing, so Ruth had to glean. Glean from the field. And this was a social welfare system that was put in place back then so that the lost, the destitute, the poor, the widowed, people that are the foreigners, the aliens, can still survive, can still come and have some, have some food. So what she does, she goes, to the, she goes to the fields. And gleaning is basically taking anything that's off the floor. The harvesters will go and they will take and they will pick and put in a basket. And these people gleaning, they will take things off the floor, leftovers. So then she enters into this, this land and she started gleaning. And then one day this landowner comes, Boaz, says, whoa, who's that girl right there? She's new, you know? She gets the, she got the, she get the favor of Boaz, you know, even to the point where Boaz nudged his, his worker, dude, drop a few lah, okay? Give chance lah, huh? give her, okay? And dude, look after her, take care of her. And not, not just that, he invites her to his table. You know, in a Jewish culture, the table is everything. Everything that happens in the table, it's, it's really if you are invited to the table, you are accepted. So she invites, Boaz invites Ruth into, the, into his table to eat with the harvesters. Wow. From the fields to the table, we see such goodness and such favor upon her life that Boaz is showering upon her. Now, then we come to the second part. Now, Naomi, when, when Ruth goes back to Naomi and says, I've been gleaning from the field, and this, this man, his name is Boaz. Naomi said, Boaz is one of our kinsmen's redeemer. Wow, plot twist. Now things have changed. Wow, it's like suddenly things are getting exciting. Like, whoa, suddenly, imagine in a movie, that is when the time stone was discovered. That is when Iron Man invented his arc reactor, portable arc reactor. It's like there's a sudden twist. Now, there could be something, right? So Naomi now, okay, so Ruth did some, a few harvests, two harvests, a barley harvest, wheat harvest, and then Naomi suddenly decides, okay, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Ruth, this is what you're going to do, all right? Today, tonight, you're going to shower. I, I think I'm, most likely they shower one, but anyway, you're going to shower, right? 
You're going to shower and you're going to put on your nicest clothes. Nicest clothes. Dress your best. You're going to put on perfume. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to wait. You're going to wait. You're going to go to the trashing floor. You're going to wait until Boaz eats his fill, drinks his fill, and he falls asleep. And what you're going to do is you're going to lay beside him. So Ruth goes. She sneaks up. I tell you, if anybody gives you that advice, please don't take it. No, don't take it, all right? Don't take it, okay? Probably Naomi, in her own carnal mind, was thinking, plotting something. But please, that is bad, bad, bad advice, all right? But anyway, let's go on to the story. Naomi comes up. It's the middle of the night. Boaz is filled. He's drunk. Not not drunk. Like he's filled with, 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 with wine and all that. He decides to sleep. Naomi comes up. She's about to do a sneak attack. No, not a sneak attack, all right? And she goes up. She unveils, unveils the, the cloth on the floor, on, on, her, on his feet, and lays beside him. And then... Boaz suddenly wakes up. Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant. Alright? And practically, she said something here which is, sums up to be, marry me. Like, imagine a guy wakes up, like, finds a girl over there, like, who are you? I'm Ruth, your servant. Marry me. Well, that, that, that's interesting. That's very interesting. But anyway, you know, it could have gone so wrong, Right? It could have gone so wrong, but plot twist. Boaz was an upright man. He was a man that's righteous. So he says, Ruth, I kind of accept your proposal, but, but before that, there is one that is more capable, one that has the privilege, first choice to marry you, to redeem you. And what I have to do is I have to ask this person first before anything. Then only can I redeem you and marry you. And his favours, then she was like, all right, that's good. Okay, so Boaz said, stay here, sleep here, don't worry. As she, as she wakes up in the middle, uh, early in the morning, she gives him six, it says six loaves, six shekels, six, not shekels, sorry, six packets, effa, effa. It was Effa, but it was something else also. But yeah, people say it's Effa because Effa is actually quite, quite a lot, right? But six goes back to Naomi and, and explains everything to Naomi. Now, when Naomi heard this, hear what she says. Naomi says this in Ruth chapter 3, verse 18. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled everything today. Naomi was telling Ruth, Ruth, be patient. Let's wait and let's wait upon God. So now, Kanchong, no, this is Kanchong moment. Bam! Part 2 end. Like, who was so Kanchong already? I'm like, oh my gosh. Now it's part 3. And today we've come to part 3. Part 3, we talk about what happens. And now, when, when Ruth, when Ruth went up to Boaz and said, I am your servant. Marry me. What was she doing? She was actually invoking a law. And that law is the kinsman redeemer law or the guardian redeemer law. You know, and she invoked that. And Boaz knew. She, he knew. That's why he said there's actually one that is more privileged, that has the first choice. He knew about the law and he wanted to obey the law but there were other laws as well. So he wanted to make sure everything was right. So, 
Today we are at the kinsman redeemer. We will see Boaz as the kinsman redeemer, right? And like I mentioned before two weeks ago, the book of Ruth is an image of the bride of Christ and not just the bride of Christ, but Christ as our redeemer coming to redeem us from the pits of hell, coming to redeem us from Moab, a place of lawlessness, a place of paganistic worship. So this is what we're going to see, the kinsman redeemer. Before we go into the, into the passage, I just want to share about four basic duties of the kinsman redeemer, all right? You can go to slide number one. The kinsman redeemer redeems freedom. He buys his own kin out of slavery, all right? These are the duties of the kinsman redeemer. So you can see in Leviticus 25, 47 to 49, if a foreigner residing among you becomes rich and any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sells themselves to the foreigner or to a member of the foreigner's clan, next slide, they retain the right of redemption after they have sold themselves. One of their relatives may redeem them. One of their relatives may redeem them, okay? An uncle, a cousin, or any blood relative in their clan may redeem them. Or if they prosper, they may redeem themselves. So, the first duty of a kinsman redeemer is to redeem one, a kin's freedom. To buy back that freedom. To pay the debt. And this was paying the debt out of slavery. Back then, there was, there was, no, like, uh, there was no bankruptcy case, bankruptcy court, and all that. So, if you owe an amount of money so huge to somebody else, and you can't pay you are technically a slave to that person until you pay off your debt. But a kinsman redeemer now can come in and pay off that debt for you, and then you will be free. So that's number one duty. Number two, a kinsman re redeemer, his duty, number two, redeem inheritance. His duty is to buy back tribal land. See, land is very precious to God. It's very important to God. So Leviticus 25, 23 to 25, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. This is God speaking. It's mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. If one of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell some of their property, the nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So, a kinsman redeemer, number one duty is to redeem freedom. Number two, Redeem the inheritance that God has given His people, the land. The land. Number three, redeem family or family lines. So, there is this particular law called the Leverite Law. All right, the Leverite Law. In Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 6, it says here, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must now marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son shall bear, the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out of Israel. And that is the Leverite law, where a brother takes on the wife of his late brother, gives her son, and the firstborn will continue on the brother's name. That way, no family is lost. No line is lost. That's the Leverite law. And number three, number four, sorry, an avenger of blood. 
Numbers 35, 16 to 19, if anyone strikes a fatal blow with an iron object, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to put, be put to death. If, or if anyone holding a stone and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. Or if anyone is holding a wooden object and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, the person is a murderer. The murderer should be okay, a lot, a lot. Okay, we understand now. But the avenger of blood, which is also the kinsman redeemer, should put the murderer to death. When the avenger comes upon the murderer, the avenger shall put the murderer to death. So there are four duties of a kinsman redeemer. Four duties of a kinsman redeemer. And soon we will see how Jesus fulfills all of these four duties for each and every one of us. And the Bible says that we are to imitate Christ. So we are to be kinsman redeemer. All right? not specifically following every single thing to the T, uh, legalistically, but carry on the spirit of the law where we help one another, where we redeem one another, when we see a friend, where we see a church member, when we see a brother or sister that's going through hardship, we are to help. We are to help. We are to go out of the way to help. So you see, the idea of the kinsman redeemer here, his duty is to, number one, Redeem the freedom of his kin. Number two, redeem the inheritance of his kin. All right? Number three, redeem the family line. Because if there is an inheritance and there is no family line, it just goes away, right? Number four, the avenger of blood for his kin. So with this in mind, with this as the background, let's come to our passage today. Let's read together from Ruth chapter 4. One to six. Can we do this together? All right. One, two, three. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the garden redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the garden redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of this seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead woman's widow, the dead man's widow, sorry, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the garden redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Let's go back to verse 1. You see verse 1 over here. Let me go back to the slide, verse 1. You see over here, Boaz, he knew that there was someone more worthy to redeem, first in line. And he knew where to find this person. So a lot, a lot of people back then, they would do legal proceedings, they would do contracts, everything at the city gate. That's where the elders are, that's where a lot of business deals were done, that's where a lot of transactions were done. So he knew that this guy would probably pass by. So he went there and he sat and he waited. And then he said over here, come over here, my friend, and sit down. 
See, the word here, friend, was placed by the translators of the Bible, our English Bible, all right? I'll just share a little bit with you over here. But in the Hebrew text, this word friend does not really exist. It actually meant something else. This word was actually Mr. So-and-so or Mr. Nobody or like Mr. What's-His-Name, you know? It's like saying, hey, what's his name, huh? That was, that was that. It was placed over here. Boaz probably did not call him, hey, what's his name, come here. No, okay. He probably called his name. But the author over here probably was trying to express something, that, is, that his name is not even worth mentioning. Mr. What's-His-Name. Wrote it here, Mr. What's-His-Name. And we will see why. We will see why. So he says to the Redeemer, hey, dude, Mr. What's-His-Name. Okay, he didn't say Mr. What's-His-Name. Bro, bro, right, bro. You're the first in line to buy this piece of land that Naomi is selling. And at first, the guy thinks, wow, hey, that's a good opportunity. Hey, very good, eh? You know, Boaz was very, very smart, all right? He said, you're the first in line to buy this piece of land that Naomi is selling because Naomi needs money right now, all right? If you want to redeem it, redeem it. Then he's thinking, hey, I could potentially buy that land, right? He's probably, it was after two harvests. He probably had some land. He probably harvested and he probably sold. His pocket is a bit fatter right now, got cash in hand. And it's like, it's a good deal. I can buy the land. I can plant more crops. I can make more money, right? And then he thought, Naomi, huh? Naomi, huh? Eliminates uh, wife, huh? And Eliminates dead and Naomi is old. So if I marry her, She's really past childbearing age. What does this mean? That means the Leverite law cannot be fulfilled. That means there will be no, yeah, there's a protest over there. That's right. The Leverite law cannot be fulfilled. But, you know, we want to see the Leverite law fulfilled, right? So it's like, wow, this is a good deal. I marry her. She's already a grandmother. You know, I can get the land. I buy the land. She cannot produce a son for me. And in the end, the line dies. When the line dies, what happens to the land? It becomes mine. Wow. And there is another law in place, which is the law and the Jubilee law, all right, where everything reverts back. It's a reset. It's a hard reset where all the land will go back to the original family. And this happens every 50 years. Then you think about it. He's probably thinking far ahead. When Jubilee comes, the line is gone. This land is mine. It's like, he's <laughs> probably thinking that. Yeah. Now he say, I will redeem it. So fast, no. I will redeem it. Then now Boaz, very wise, very smart, decides to throw a curveball at him, right? He says, Oh, you will redeem the land, huh? The land comes with roof. When you redeem the land, the day you redeem the land, you also need to redeem roof. The Moabite woman. Then now it's like, oh no. Now it's suddenly, my gosh, what did I say? What did I do? It's not such a good deal after all. Now, Ruth is of childbearing age. Right? She's of childbearing age. That's why you say, he said, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. He's probably thinking to you, oh no. If I give her a son, the land goes back to them. 
if the land goes back to them, like, oh my gosh, how ah? I lose it. And now I, I, I not just feed Naomi, I feed Ruth some more. And I feed the son. More money out of the pocket. Give, give, give. Like, wow, charity ah? Huh? So it's like, oh my gosh, no. It went danger my estate. See, think, of, think about it. If this guy, Mr. What's-His-Name, had a wife already, okay, let's, let's say this, he, had, he has a wife. He has a wife. And probably, let's give a scenario. He has a son. He has a wife and a son. Alright? And then if he takes on Ruth and then gives her a son as well, now he's got two sons. One son will carry on his own name. The other son will carry on Naomi's name. But the land, because he redeemed it, goes to Ruth. I'm like, then why I purchased the land? Doesn't make sense, eh? Doesn't, doesn't go to my line. Okay? Now, okay, this is if he has a son. Okay, if he doesn't have a son and he's married, this is more obvious, right? married with no son, what if the first son is actually coming from Ruth? Oh, that's also interesting. That means his lineage now goes to Ruth. Like, uh-oh. Now that's a loose-loose situation right there. Or if he's not even married and he marries Ruth, his name straight away disappeared. Gone. Gone. Because when you redeem someone using the Leverite law, you carry on the lineage of the person that passed away. So his name disappears. Now he thinks about it. Oh, 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 oh. Bad deal, bad deal, bad deal. Ring, ding, 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 ding. I cannot redeem the land for it will endanger my estate. You redeem it for I cannot redeem the land. Now, if you think about it, it's actually a very rational, logical decision, right? It's very logical, no? I buy the land. At the end of the day, I don't get the land. In the end, I spend more money feeding people, buying the land, and I don't get it at the end. My descendants don't get it. It is not logical, correct or not? As a business deal, it's not logical. There is only one flaw with this. In doing so, by saying I cannot, the one flaw is he becomes disobedient to a direct command of God. Wow. And that is why Mr. What's-His-Name is Mr. What's-His-Name in the Bible. Right? Proverbs 22 verse 1, it says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. But this guy decided, I want riches. In the end, he had no name at all. No name. Wow. Imagine that. Now we need to apply this to ourselves. Because this man chose not to disrupt his life. He chose not to disrupt his wealth. And by doing so, he became disobedient to God's command and what God has called him to do. Now, what will you do? What will you do? When there is a clear command from God, very, very clear, and then it disrupts your life, it throws your life into total chaos, total madness. And worse than that, it disrupts your whole family lineage. What will you do? Now, this guy chose not to do it, but Boaz chose to do it. So this, this leads me to point number one. As a kinsman redeemer, 
You need to put obedience over comfort. Obedience over comfort. And this is true for many of us. If we see a friend, a family that is in danger, that is going through hardship, we have to obey God and help redeem that person. We have to go pray for them. We have to go counsel them. We have to help them wherever we can. And this might cause us discomfort. This might cause a disruption in your life. Lack of sleep, less time to do things, less of your leisure time maybe, less of your money, some money sewn into the person. It will cause some discomfort. But this is what God is asking us to do. To love one another. To care for one another. So church, as a family in this place, if there is a cell member that is going through hardship, if there is a family member, if there is a church member going through hardship, I implore you, reach out to them. Reach out to them. In this day and age, it's so easy. That's just a WhatsApp. It's just a call. Reach out to them. All right? And go the extra mile. You know, if someone needs a ride, you know, I, Pastor Miranda was just sharing this. You know, Pastor Miranda is wonderful, wonderful when it comes to the YAC, YAC people. She goes out of the way to drop people off, to fetch people, to drop people off, out of the way. And I'm like, I'm literally different direction, you know. She stays in, in Damansara. She goes all the way to what, Chiras, Ampang sometimes, drop and then comes back. Or like crazy places like Puchong or Kajang or something. Far lah, far, okay, far. And it's not easy. But she decided, because they are in my care, and I want to care, I want to love for them, I want to love on them. And I will put them, I will sacrifice my discomfort for them. Church, that's what we need to do. Amen? Amen? Let's move on. Chapter 4, 7 to 10. Let's read this together. 1, 2, 3. Now, in early times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final... So the garden redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Now, as opposed to Mr. What's-His-Name, Boaz is not thinking about himself. He is not thinking about what he can get from this. He's not thinking about what he can benefit from this transaction. Instead, he took on the role of kinsman redeemer and he said, I will redeem the land. And on this day I redeem the land, I will take on Ruth as my wife. He was thinking about Ruth. He was thinking about Naomi. He was thinking about the law of God. He was thinking about the commands of God and not thinking about himself. Which leads me to very fast. Point number two. God's name over your name. We are to place God above everything else. Everything else, even if it means losing our name. It's hard to swallow, yes. It's hard to swallow for Boaz. He did it. 
He did it. And that is what we are called to do, to place God above everything else as priority number one above all things. But you know, God always has a plan. And if you were to be obedient to God, if you were to place God as number one, He always has a plan. And His plan is not to shame you. His plan is not to bring you down. No. His plan is to prosper you, to bless you, So we have to have faith in our God and trust our God as we be obedient to Him, as we put Him, number one, in our lives. This means, what does this mean? This means dying to self. This means you have to sacrifice certain things that you enjoy doing. Sometimes it means living a job even to really serve Him fully because God says, I want you to do this. Then you follow, you do. Sometimes it means living a cushy life. And God says, go to Nepal. Go to Tibet. Wow. That's placing God's name above your name. You know, your name. Let's continue on. Ruth chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah who together build up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. See, when you are obedient to glorifying God's name above all else, when you're obedient and that obedience takes you to glorifying God's name, it brings you fruitfulness. Look at the blessings. There are three blessings that the elders and the people at the gate gave them, gave to, gave to uh, Boaz. Number one, may the Lord make the woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. This was a blessing to Ruth. Number one, to Ruth, a Moabite. Rachel and Leah were Jews. And you know, you know the history of Rachel and Leah? They were the mothers of Israel. The 12 tribes came out of Israel. So what are they saying? They're saying, Ruth, may God bless you. May you have the standing of Rachel and Leah that are mothers of Israel. May you cause history to change. May you cause such a mark in history. That was a blessing. That was a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And we know that blessing came to pass. Why? Because in the history, Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David and the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. That's amazing. She had the same standing as Rachel and Leah. And the second blessing is to Boaz. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem because you decide to not take up your own name, your own line, may your name be famous. You see, God never shortchanged you. So when you decide to give up something, when you decide to sacrifice for Him, God never shortchanged you. It's when He gave up His name, God gave Him an even greater name. One that is famous, great-grandfather of David, an ancestor to Jesus, in the line of Jesus. Imagine that. Wow. That's amazing. And the third blessing. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez 
and Tamar bore to Judah. Now, this is very, 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 very interesting. All right? The story of Tamar is one crazy story. The story was that Tamar was married to Judah's son, Ur, but Ur passed away. And then Judah married her to the Levite law, right? Married her to the son, the next son, Onan. Onan, Onan. You put a C, become Conan. But anyway, Onan, all right? After that, Onan passed away, right? And then there was one more son. His name was Shelah. Shelah. My heart goes, Shelah, la, la, la. Oh, no, Shelah. Cannot fail, sorry. Shelah, all right? But Judah did not want to marry the son of Tutama. Why? Because the first two sons after Mary died. No son. So he was afraid. He was scared. But Tamar wanted to continue, wanted to be obedient to God and wanted to execute the Leverite law. So Tamar dressed herself up as a prostitute to trick her father-in-law into performing the Leverite marriage. Now, why did they say, so weird, right? Why did they say, may your family be like Perez? Because Perez was born out of a Leverite marriage. And this town, the people in Bethlehem, they are the ancestors of Judah. That means they're the ancestors of Perez. This whole town and all of these people came from a Leverite marriage, a son from the Leverite marriage. So they know what Boaz was doing. They know the extremes that he was going, the sacrifices that he was going. They were the fruits of a Leverite marriage, these people. And that's why they blessed them. And they blessed them. Imagine that. Wow, it's so good. It's so good. So, to be a kinsman redeemer, and we are all called to be kinsman redeemer over here, we need to have obedience over comfort. We need to have God's name above our name. And God doesn't shortchange you. He doesn't. When you do that, there will be blessings. There will be fruitfulness. God did not say, but I'm, I'm, I'm just putting out there, it might not be comfortable. It might not be comfortable. God did not save us so that we can have a cushy life and enjoyable life. But God did say He will be with us every step of the way. Every step of the way. He is there. Through your ups, through your downs, He will never leave you. He is a faithful God. He is a faithful God. And why is this story so important? Why is this story so unique? See, the story of Boaz and Ruth, like I mentioned two weeks ago, it is an image of Christ with us, His bride. So that's why when they, the story of Ruth comes out, Ruth and Boaz, it is actually a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. A greater Boaz will come, and that's Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and He fulfills all the duties of a kinsman redeemer. Remember the four duties? He redeems freedom of His kin. He redeems inheritance. He redeems family, and He is an avenger. All right, we've seen so many times in the Bible, you know, we've seen the Israelites gone into slavery into Egypt. God redeems them. And more than that, we are in sin. We are slaves to our sinful nature. But God came down, died on the cross, so that we may have freedom. He redeems us so that we may have freedom. And then inheritance. God says, 
you have an inheritance in heaven, one that is not perishable, one where the moths cannot come, cannot catch, cannot get. You have an inheritance, and it is in heaven. So God is storing an inheritance for us, and He redeems us in our family line. He redeems our family line. He grafts us into His family. And now we can be called a child of God, a son and daughter of God. And then He avenges us. He avenges us. You know, Jesus, He came as a lamb. Yes, He came to sacrifice for us. But in the end of the age, He comes as the lion. In Revelation 5, it is said, Behold, the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. So He comes as a lion to avenge us and we know He strikes Satan down into the pits of hell. We know we are avenged. So Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. When Boaz said this, I will marry I will redeem the land. I will redeem the land. Don't show this yet. Not yet. Yeah. I will redeem the land. He was a foreshadow of Jesus. When Jesus comes to redeem us, redeem us in our sinful nature, you see, Boaz did that he redeemed Ruth and not just redeemed her gave her a future gave her a hope gave her a life it's a total 360 change 360 totally changed and Jesus did that for us some of us here we might be asking who is this Jesus that can totally change my life you're probably thinking, I'm, I'm like Ruth. I'm down in the pits. I'm probably cleaning from the fields, metaphorically. I'm probably scraping, going by, just like that. And I need a redeemer. Jesus can redeem you. Jesus can redeem you. And I just want to do this right now. I just want to be obedient to God. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. If you've heard this message and you're asking, who is this Redeemer? Who is this Redeemer? Who is this Jesus that redeems His own people and we are His people? Who is this Jesus that can bring me out of where I am, the pits of hell that I'm in? And you do not know Him yet. You've not accepted Him yet. I want to give you this chance. I'm going to open up right now. I'm going to call. And if this is you and, and you want to accept Jesus, you've heard this, Jesus is my kinsman redeemer. And you want to say, Lord, be my redeemer. Jesus, be my redeemer. I want to give you this chance right now. In the count of three, if that is you, I want you to raise your hands. One. Jesus, 
can redeem you. They can give you freedom. They can give you breakthrough. They can take you out of bondage. Number two, Jesus can redeem your inheritance where He gives you an inheritance way, way, way more than what we can imagine. Way more than the material things that we store here. Number three, Jesus can redeem your family line. You can be grafted into the family of God. If that is you in this place, would you raise your hands? Say yes to Jesus as your redeemer. It's going to wait a while longer. If there is anyone in this place who says, Jesus, I want Jesus to be my kinsman redeemer. Raise your hands. Praise God. If there's anybody in this place that would want to do that prayer, you're a bit too shy to raise your hands, you can come and find any one of the pastors here, standing in front, any one of us over here, and we will pray along with you. Now you can open your eyes now. I said before that Boaz, the story of Boaz and Ruth is a foreshadowing of what is to come, of Jesus. And when I said that, you know, Boaz was going to marry Ruth. There was going to be a wedding. There was going to be a wedding. And in the end of age, at the end of the age, there is also going to be a wedding where Jesus comes for His bride, for us. But I want to highlight this particular part when Boaz at the city gates stepped up and said, I will redeem the land. I will marry Ruth. And by doing so, I marry Ruth. When he did that, guess what? That was a legal transaction. That was binding. And everybody over there said, I'm a witness. The transaction was done. It was sealed. Ruth was now Boaz's wife. Ruth was not even there. She was not even there. And that's the beauty of it. Jesus, in all His magnificence, in all His glory, redeems us when we are in the pits of hell when we are not even there, not even thinking about Him, when we are hiding somewhere, when we are doing, wallowing in our sins, Jesus redeems us. We are not even there. When He was at the cross of Calvary, where were the other people? They were mocking Him. They were cheering on Him. They whipped Him. Jesus redeems us even though we are not worth redeeming. And that is the fulfillment of His covenant. I want to share this with you. You know, God, when He made a covenant with Abraham, a covenant, you know, in, in the Jewish tradition, if you were to make a covenant, what they would do is they would take animals, they would cut the animals into half, and they would lay the animals opposite of each other. And the parties, the two parties that are making the covenant will walk through the half animals. They will walk through. And what they are saying is that I will fulfill this covenant lest I become that animal down there. So if I were to break the covenant, 
I will be slaughtered. I will be half. I will give my life. See, when God made the covenant with Abraham, you know what happened? He told Abraham, Abraham, take a heifer, take a goat, take animals, cut them into half, arrange them, split them. And after that, what happened? God took Abraham to sleep. There was darkness that came over and Abraham slept. And then God, God manifested Himself in the form of fire in Genesis 15, verse 17. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. God manifested Himself. And as that fire, He walked past the half-animals. Himself, alone, while Abraham was sleeping. But the sea, the covenant was made with Abraham. But when God did that, when He walked in that half-animals, He was saying, I alone should fulfill that covenant. Because He knows that we are frail. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we cannot hold on. And that's why He says, I alone shall do it. And when Boaz did that, I shall redeem the land. And I shall marry Ruth. He did that even Ruth, when Ruth wasn't around. This was a foreshadowing of God fulfilling His covenant to us. Isn't that wonderful? He fulfilled the covenant even though we are not worth it. That's wonderful. And one more thing, I said before, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a wedding. There's going to be a marriage. And we know when Jesus comes, there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right? When Jesus comes and us, the bride, is prepared. Now I want you to see this. Because we are the end of Ruth. To see the end of Ruth, we need to go back to the beginning in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. When Ruth clung on to Naomi, she gave a wonderful vow. We can put the slide up now. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. When she said that, that was a vow. That was like a marriage vow. And that is what we should be saying. God, you are my God. And you know what? At the end of the age, at the end of the age, in Revelations 21, it's here, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. It's an image of the wedding. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be their God. Look at the languaging of this. They will be His people and God Himself will be their God. What was Ruth saying? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. This is a response to what Ruth was saying. So today, as we hear this message of the kinsman redeemer, of how Jesus is our kinsman redeemer and how we should respond, God, You are my God. And the church it's my people. And we are to take on and be the kinsman redeemer where we help one another, where we love unto one another. Can we all rise up right now? Let's respond to God.
if you are in this place and you are in need of a kinsman redeemer, you need help somehow. It could be financially, it could be spiritually, it could be emotionally, you could be going through some stuff. I want to invite you to the front because we will have leaders, we will have pastors here that will be praying for you, that will journey with you because we as a church, we want to love you. We want to love one another. We want to be your kinsman redeemer following after Christ. As you've heard this message and you say, I want to rise up to be a kinsman redeemer to my friends and to my family. I want to imitate Christ and be a kinsman redeemer. If that is you, I want you to raise your hands right now. If you want to be like Jesus and you want to be like God and you want to be a kinsman redeemer to your friends, to your family, to your church members, to your cell members, and you want to rise up and you want to obey God over your comfort and you want to put God's name above your name, put your hands up real high. Put your hands up real high. You're responding to God, not me. Heavenly Father, you see these hands. You see their response, the response of their heart. And Lord, we ask, Lord Jesus, may courage rise within my brothers and sisters courage to obey your promptings but we ask Lord may you may the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit come forth and they may heed your word even a still small voice to give water to those that are thirsty to help those that are poor and downtrodden to help those that are seeking refuge so we ask Lord may we rise as a church to be kinsmen redeemers to one another May we rise as a church to love one another out of, our, out of our comfort, way above our comfort, putting our comfort down. May we rise to bring glory to your name above our own name. And Lord, we know, Lord, as we are obedient to your call and we bring glory to your name, we know that we will be fruitful because we will be blessed, you will bless. So right now, I proclaim a blessing over my brothers and sisters right now. Heavenly Father, bless them, Lord. Bless the work of their hands. Bless the words of their lips that when they speak forth, it will be blessing. It will be life. Bless the work of their hands that whatever they put their hands to, Lord, it will prosper and bring you glory for they will bring you glory. Your name above their name bless their feet that wherever they walk they will be able to host your presence so heavenly father be with my brothers and sisters we thank you in jesus most mighty name we pray amen, amen. let's give glory to god that's the end of service church just a reminder if you would like to come for second service second service is happening in smcc also this week, we have three different speakers covering Roof Chapter 4. So in, uh, in 8.30 service tomorrow, SMCC Pastor Chu will be speaking. At the 11 a.m. service, back in BY, Pastor Sam Kyung will be preaching. So if you want to hear different perspective, come for all services. If you need prayer, there are still ministers in front over here willing to pray for you, willing to journey with you. Feel free to come up. Thank you very much, and we will see you soon.